if you don't have a Bible or a way to read uh, this right here, maybe your phone or whatever, um, we're going to read a pretty long section of scripture. So it might be good to read along um, unless you really need a nap, which is totally cool. Um, but uh, there's also Bibles in the back. So if you need a Bible, you can put your hand up in the air and somebody will bring you a Bible to, uh, to help you uh, kind of read along with that. Um, there's a couple of hands up. It's true. Uh, we'll get to you. I promise. If your armpits aren't smelling so great today, don't worry about it. Your neighbors will have grace for you. We're in church. Come on now. So we're in Matthew chapter 26. We're starting in verse 47, and we're going to go all the way to 2726. Um, and we're going to read it. Uh, and then um, you can keep it open if you want to and reference it. But the rest of the talk will just kind of reference and come back to it, but not necessarily read through it. So I asked Jonathan to come up and... Uh, and read for us, and so he was like, I'll do it. Um, so yeah, he's going to he's gonna read this for us. So if you're there, uh, Matthew 26, 47. So uh, this week, I poured over this passage, and I thought, I mean, there's so many things here, as you guys heard while we were reading it. And uh, the thing that kept jumping back at me that I kept, uh, I couldn't get out of my head, really, was this idea that uh, this narrative that we just read is a very good picture. It's a clear picture, but something that I oftentimes miss when there's a very simple good and evil in a story. Now, this story is a very simple good and evil, and the Jewish leaders were horribly wrong to unjustly try Jesus and to crucify Jesus or to put pressure on the Romans to crucify Jesus. But we can't miss this fact the Jewish leaders of the time were a group of people who genuinely believed they were doing the right thing. And I truly believed as I read this passage more, as I understood more about who they were, I truly believe these people who were considered the wisest, maybe the smartest, at least, at the very least, the most looked up to group of people in their culture for the most part, that this group of people would have had very reasonable means to kill Jesus. You didn't think you'd hear that in church today, right? I believe that this group of people had very good reasons for this. I don't think it would have been that easy to convince a crowd of people to follow them if they weren't smart enough to mask their envy with great reasons. And so because, because the, the narrative of the scriptures is, is teaching us about who Christ is and teaching us the endurance that Christ endured, I want, to see, I want us to, show, to see something particularly that, that we may not have ever seen before. I want us to think about this story and why it is that these Jewish leaders hated Jesus so much. What is their justification? And then I'm going to jump right into something that I think is massive in this, and I hope you follow me in it. Uh, Lyman R Abbott, writing in the 1860s. Again, I, I apologize for some of the words in here. Um, and if I say them wrong, I don't apologize because you wouldn't do it either. So um, Lyman Abbott in the 1860s said this. This is, this is from the perspective of the Jewish leaders based on history. This is what he's writing. He says, it was charged that he was a preacher of turbulence and faction, that he flattered the poor and invade or was hostile against the rich, that he denounced whole cities, Capernaum, Bethsaida, Chorazin, 
that he gathered about him a rabble of publicans, harlots, and drunkards under a mere pretense of reforming them, that he subverted the laws and institutions of the Mosaic commonwealth and substituted an unauthorized legislation of his own, that he disregarded not only all distinctions of society, but even those of religion, and commended the idolatrous Samaritan as a greater worth than the holy priest and pious Levite, that though he pretended to work miracles, he had invariably refused to perform them in the presence and at the request of the rabbis and leaders, that he had condemned the solemn sanctions of their holy religion. He had sat down to eat with sinners with unwashed hands, that he disregarded the obligations of the Sabbath, that he attended the Jewish feasts with great irregularity or not at all, that he had declared that God would be worshipped in any place as well as in the Holy Temple, and he had openly and violently interfered with their sacred services by driving away the people in the temple. Now, I know that if, if someone did this, if somebody really went that far. I don't think most people would consider him to be righteous. I genuinely believe that the Jewish leaders thought they were doing the right thing when they killed Jesus. This highlights a plague of mankind that we get sucked into, that they were sucked into, and that's this. At the fall, God said, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the fruit of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. Since that day, mankind has become a judge for himself. Mankind has used his own reason to even judge God. We have become our own judge and jury, and our reason reigns supreme. These people really did think they were doing the right thing. Yeah, sure, it was mixed with a little envy, but who doesn't have a little bad motives now and again? Everything, everything that mankind has seen to on his own is mixed with both his creation and the goodness of God, the reason, the ability to think, the things that they think are good, and this plague of darkness. See, the Jewish leaders teach us one thing, and there's going to be three observations today from this text. And the first observation is this. That because of this judgment, right, that evil means are not justified by a seemingly good end. Now, here's what I mean by that. They, uh, <laughs> there's far more than this. I read a ton about Hebrew law this week, okay? I'm not a lawyer, and to be really honest, I'm not going to be trying anybody in the first century. But that's a joke. Come on. Um, <laughs> clearly, I live right now. That's not going to happen. Um, I, I, maybe I, maybe it's my voice. Um, I won't sound so ominous. Bren's the happy one. I get to be the other one. Um, so this group of people, 
really did believe they were doing the right thing. Evil means do not justify a seemingly good end. They really did believe that for the sake of their culture and society, they had to kill Jesus. This guy was causing too many problems. They had their own form of peace, and that form of peace to them was to be kept at all cost. They couldn't see the injustice around them because they can't. They are not smart enough to be the judge of everything in their world. That is why when, when God originally set us in the garden as people, he, he was intended to be the judge. There was to be no other. He set down what is morally good and what is not. He's the one who distinguished right from wrong. But here's the thing. After that point, after the sin, after sin entered into us, we become the kind of people who have this little twinge in the back of our head that when we hear something of God, we sometimes can judge it ourselves. Check this out. I'm going to give you three examples of at least 12 in the ways that the Jewish leaders went against their own conscience and against their own rules to crucify Jesus. And the reason they went against their own rules was because they wanted to get rid of Jesus so bad. In Hebrew law, there was to be no trial at night. Okay? No trial at night. That was a very intentional thing. It's not a good idea to start trying people when they really just want to go home and eat or sleep. Okay? Simple. So when they bring Jesus to him, it is night. Or when they bring Jesus to the Sanhedrin, it is nighttime. They have a trial in the middle of the night. Now, I want you to think about it this way. The Hebrew law system has given us a lot of really good things, and a lot of things that, some things we still use, okay? Like the idea of how many witnesses it takes to convict someone. But I want you to think about it this way. If in the middle of one of our trials today, a judge stood up, and shouted at the accused person an accusation. We would all think that that judge is way out of line. We would all know that. But that is exactly what the high priest does. He stands up in the middle of this, and he's, he realizes all of these witnesses are coming forward for Jesus, and they're all, they're all saying all these different things, and none of them can be corroborated, right? Because there's no... There's no evidence that this man has done anything wrong because he didn't. So you got all these false witnesses coming forward, and finally the judge just gets frustrated. Just tell us whether you're actually the king thing. Could you imagine? That would be a serious, serious violation of our law. Finally, they get two witnesses. They get two witnesses that say something similar. But at this point, the trial should have been thrown out according to their own law. Because anytime you have people come forward, if their testimonies don't corroborate, it's a mistrial, you're done. See you later. If all these people are going to come forward and lie about somebody, that's not justice. So finally, you get two witnesses that seem to agree on something that Jesus didn't even really say. And they say that this man says that he will destroy the temple and build it again in three days. 
And everybody goes, what? You mean that gigantic building over there? What was Jesus talking about? He's talking about his own body. He said, this temple will be destroyed and rebuilt in three days. The last thing is this. It's illegal for them to force Jesus to defend himself without giving him ample time to actually do it. Now, here's where I'm convinced of something. I think the Jewish leaders knew that if they gave Jesus enough time to make a good defense in this trial, I think they knew he would prove that he's a Messiah. I think he would walk them through their law and the scriptures, and he would show them the prophecies, he would show them what happened, and I think in the end of that, the Jewish leaders either probably, probably still wouldn't have like been like, oh, we love you, Jesus, but they'd have probably had to recognize that this guy's legit. None of that happens. None of that happens. The reason for that is that this group of people could not give a just man a just trial because they believed that he needed to be killed. They saw their means as a justification for the end. Now, this is one thing we can learn from them. All human beings must beware of some action that violates their conscience simply because they believe it seems to have a virtuous end. Now, what do I mean by that? Is there anything in your life where you've gone against your conscience because somehow you were convinced it was okay to do something you knew was wrong out of the hopes that it would all be better in the end? I tried to think of more examples, but the the one for me, I kept thinking about for for college students, and, and I was in this place in college, and are you cheating? Knowing that you're doing something wrong, but are you cheating because you think that maybe this class isn't that important to you? Maybe you don't really care and you just want the grade and ultimately this grade is just dumb. It's a piece of paper my diploma is and so like once I get it, I can just go into the workplace, I'm good. Are you compromising in that area of your life knowing that it's wrong, trying really hard to make yourself not feel bad? The other thing I was thinking was this, like I heard this out of so many people, so many people that they were willing to sleep with or, or, or have sex with their, their, their not spouse, okay? Because they believe they'd be married one day. Look, I don't have to tell you. If you know that that's wrong, it's wrong. It is clear that that is adultery. You know this. But I understand that sometimes... Sometimes you get this idea in our, I do this, we get this idea in our head that we can justify something bad if it ends good. The truth is, is that everything, according to scripture, all sin doesn't lead to good. It doesn't lead you to a good place. Why? You start cheating in college? You think you're not going to cut corners at your job? You think that you're not going to have intimacy issues when you get married? 
ultimately all sin according to scripture, and, and I'm not harping on the people who've done those particular things. I want you to understand that. There's more than that. Some of us in this room right now, you're doing things at your job that you know are ethically incorrect, and you're just doing them because you think in the end, I just need to get past this point. Once I'm past this point, then I'll be good, and I don't have to do this anymore. My family needs the money. According to scripture, all sin leads not towards a place where you get to make a really nice decision. You don't get to control where it leads. All sin leads to death, according to scripture. Sin, when it is fully conceived, it gives birth to death. The first observation that we make from these guys is that. In the kingdom of God, we believe that God is orchestrating a grand plan by his design and that we do not determine outcomes, but we simply seek to live faithfully in all circumstances. The second observation that I make from this passage um, is one that for me is just a trip. Uh, This should have been our trial. And this should have been our beatings and our mockery. Um, I do this with the cross all the time, you guys. I think of myself on the cross and Jesus coming up and taking me off of the cross. And it's easy for me to do that because the cross is such a picture for me of Jesus' suffering. But when you think about the other things that Jesus suffered about, it wasn't just the crucifixion that was painful. See, it isn't just that we deserved simple death. There is more to it than this. That, that if, if we were to be the ones that were given justice in this circumstance, it would have been us, not him. Could you imagine being mocked for anything you've ever done? Could you imagine literally being beaten for every wrong action? And then when you think about the fact that Jesus didn't do those things, but Jesus was mocked, that pisses me off. Because in a lot of ways, we run on this, I deserve this, I deserve this. And, and, and you know what? The truth is, is and I'm not trying to be harsh here. The first service got, first, first service got it worse because I was way more emotionally charged and I'm kind of dead now. But like, honestly, I'm the one who should be right now facing every ounce of suffering. I shouldn't be here in this room with you. Based off of what is the truth, I'm not the judge, okay? God is. God is the one who sees over all of, all of the world. I didn't make that choice because I didn't create the world. But I shouldn't be here right now. The truth is, is that I should be in hell. Now, this is the beauty of Jesus. It's not just the crucifixion. It's the suffering. It's the stuff that he took for us so that we didn't have to experience this kind of mockery before God. Listen to this. In Isaiah 53, some of you guys know this passage. and It's something we read a lot for the crucifixion, but I want us to understand it differently. Um, This week, I decided to write it as if I got what I deserved. 
I decided to rewrite this passage and, and think to myself, like, how would it be, what would this passage look like if I got what I deserved? And you can put yourself in this place if you want. It's up to you. Um, this is just what, what my heart was, was thinking, and, and I, I encourage you, actually, to put yourself in the place, and you claim the I in this. I am despised and rejected, constantly suffering in the worst way. Everyone, including God, has turned their back on me and doesn't care. I am alone with my weakness. I feel my sorrow dragging me deeper. My problems are with God, what I feel because I rebelled against God. I walked alone to my gravesite, already dug, and as I lay in my rebel's grave, knives puncture my body and I feel every one. The dirt is piled up on top of me, suffocating and weighty. Those around me punch and kick me through the dirt. They sting my flesh with whips. Every person dies like this because we wandered from our king. We do what we want without regard for our ruler. And the Lord has deservedly burdened me with a traitor's death. But that makes the real passage even more beautiful. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and he looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of all. As the Jewish leaders, thinking that they were the ones killing Jesus, as they followed this through, I had this thought in the back of my head. And the fact that Jesus took this for me, and, and, and it was actually an act of injustice, the fact that that happened makes my next point even crazier to me. Because I'm not going to lie to you, I feel like Jesus would have been totally justified after his resurrection to come back and do whatever he wanted to the Jewish leaders hurt them any way he wanted to, laughed and mocked them, spit in their face. Look, I rose from the dead. I was who I said I was. Now what? Totally justified to do that. And we love a good revenge story. You know what I'm saying? We love it when people come back and it's like, it's payback time and it's like everyone dies. There's an aspect of us that sees this act of injustice and we go, justice! Sorry, I was thinking Braveheart. I'm sorry. But you get the point. The third thing is this. The craziest thing about this is it, crucifixion is one thing, but to be mocked? Look, punch me in the face all day, every day, but if you mock me, I'm probably going to get more mad. I don't have the self-control to not come back at someone when I'm right and they're wrong. Oftentimes in my life. 
But look at what Jesus does here. He rises from the dead, and what does he do? He institutes a principle. Like, love your enemies. His enemies were envious. His enemies were treating him as poorly as someone could, and they were wrong in every way. And Jesus doesn't go, kick their butt. Jesus says the opposite. The third point that we can learn from this section is this. We are not responsible for vengeance. In the same way that we do not judge ultimately what is right and wrong in the whole world, that God has done that, we also do not judge or pass judgment on other people when they've wronged us. We seek healing, but we don't seek hurting. There has been no greater injustice in the history of mankind than the conviction and execution of Jesus. Yet as his followers, he makes it clear that we are not people to respond with equal violence. God ultimately will judge all people for their actions and dish out justice, and Jesus is our marker in that moment. Thus, payback is not ours. We are not the judge in any situation. For Jesus and those who follow him, we believe this passage, Romans 12, 19. Never, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, for us in this room, I get that that's not a thing. But do you guys know how many atrocities in history against the Jews have been justified by the fact that they killed Jesus? There were groups of people, no joke, who, and and you probably are thinking back to the things that you know, who justified hurting the Jewish people because they were the ones who killed Jesus. That's just... I think that that's just as bad as what the Jewish leaders do here. That's not listening to Jesus just as bad as the Jewish leaders. The Jewish leaders didn't kill Jesus. Do you know who killed Jesus? I bet you're tempted to think that I'm going to say you. But it wasn't you. It was Jesus. In John 10, 18, Jesus says, nobody takes my life from me, but I lay it down willingly. We didn't kill Jesus. What we did helped make the decision for him. But it was his choice. I want to end here with a prayer um, before we sing again. Um, If you'll bow your heads with me. (sighs) Jesus, who is man that you are mindful of him? 
You were quieted for our ignorant, slanderous speech. You were gored for our gossip, stabbed for our sick sexual pursuits, maimed for murderers, junked for the unjust, mocked for mockers, punched for the prideful, busted for our bad tempers, ripped for the rebel, the rebels. We are not worthy to be administrators on your heavenly account, but you have cut a new rut for mankind so that some of us will hope because we've been healed, love because of lavish, extravagant grace, be joyful because we are justified, rest because of redemption, be peacemakers because of your peace, revel in relationship with you, Accept because we are now accepted and worshiped because we are overwhelmed. Lord, may your courage encourage us today. Thank you for removing us from our custom-made judgment and taking it all on yourself. You are too good. Amen.